0: Trader's Point, how we doing? Yeah. Hey, it's so good to be with you today as we continue in our series, Love and War. And what we've been doing in this series is walking through this short letter in the back of our Bibles titled, 1 John. And it is a short but powerful book. And John really writes in these extremes, if you will. He'll either... Um, Say that, hey, you either walk in light or you walk in darkness. And we'll see today that he'll say that either you are a son of or daughter of the devil or you're a son or daughter of God. And then he'll come out and just say, hey, you are either living to love others or you're living with hatred in your heart. It's very stark, it's very black and white. But at the same time, through this, he does two things really well. He provides assurance and conviction that no matter what we're going through, he assures us that we're with God and he's going to be with us through it all, who we are, our identity. But then he also gives us this conviction side that God loves you, but he even has more for you than you could ever dream, ask, or imagine. So that's what we've been looking through in this letter. And today we're going to be in chapter 3, starting in verse 19. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. If not, everything will be on the screen behind me. But also just want to encourage you, we're not going to be able to cover all of chapter 3 today. So... Subscribe, if you haven't already, to DBR, our daily Bible reading. This will give you a chance to study um, what we don't cover today. And also, I just want to encourage you to take notes. Every time we open God's Word, we can trust that He is going to say something, all right? So hopefully you had enough time to get there. Chapter 3, verse 19, look at what John says. He says, Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. So let's go ahead and stop right there. So I... I love just the way that John writes here. And maybe at first glance, it's hard to tell. But what he's talking about in these few verses here is he's talking about prayer. He's talking about prayer. Did you notice that even the language that he uses there of, hey, when we come before God, when we come before God. And I love that. I think John does a great job not just talking about what prayer is. But where prayer happens, you see, prayer is when I come into the presence of God. Prayer is when I come into the presence of God. You, you, you think about that. that there's, there's this moment in our lives where we can break away and step into the presence of God. The prayer is this sacred place where heaven and earth touch, where God and humanity come together. And Paul says, I mean, John says that we can step into this place, into the presence of God. But what I want us to look at today is what is it that's keeping us from the presence of God? You know what I mean? Like, if God is offering this, if God is saying that this is possible, why aren't we spending more time over there? If there's this world where me and you, anytime we want, can step in and go into the presence of God, well, why why aren't we? And what we're going to look at today is just this idea that when we come before God It almost feels like maybe you can relate to this. There's this this barrier that comes between me and the presence of God. There's these things that stop us from ever getting a chance to be in his presence. And John talks about a few of them um, in our time together. So what I want us to do is just walk through one by one and say, hey, what is it in my life that is keeping me from the presence of God? And I think the first one that we would see as we come over here, the dramatic reveal is just the unknown, right? Here's what I mean. When we talk about prayer, there's almost this mystery to it, right? Like what is going to happen? If I go into this space, what's it going to be like on the other side? How is God going to meet me? Is there a set of things that I have to do to get into that space where I have to say the right words at the right time? What is going to happen when I go on the other side of this? And I think even the way that we talk about prayer makes it look like we don't think about prayer the same way John is talking about prayers. All right. And here's just an example. We're gonna do this family feud style, all right? So we asked a hundred participants. If I'm going to send some prayers, where am I going to send them? Up, right? I'm going to send my prayers up. What does that communicate? That God is not in this space with me. That that I'm going to pull up and I'm going to share and then I'm going to send these prayers to God and maybe he'll get to them, maybe he won't, but I'm going to go on with my day and maybe I'll hear from God. God. But what the Bible talks about is a very different interaction of what prayer is. Like during prayer, we actually get to come before him. But is that really the relationship that we want? Because maybe, and, and maybe you can relate, that's not what your relationship with God looks like. Maybe it looks more like a text message relationship between you and God. And I know at times I want my relationship with God to be more of like a text message relationship. Because if I'm being honest, I would much rather have a text message relationship with most people. I was there when the great shift happened. When we went from having to call people and talk to them, and not even on personal cell phones, but on home phones and places of business, you had to call the person. Text messaging was the first time where you didn't have to be present with the person to have a conversation. But in these olden times, (laughs) I still have the numbers locked into my head. Because you had to call everyone. 271-4841. This was the number to my house. Because when I would get kicked out in the morning to go out, I could go. But I had to call and check in every few hours to let them know that I'm still alive. So I had to have that number. I could have been calling from a payphone in Mississippi, like, right? And I'm not even going to go into what a payphone is. It's not important. (laughs) 632-7415, extension 118. This is my mother's work number. Every day when I got off the bus, I had to call her. And I was so thankful that they finally got, a rece- uh, they got rid of the receptionist. Sorry if you were there, if that person. Because <laughs> you would have to make small talk with this person. You're calling in. You're just trying to say, tell your mom you're alive. And they're wanting to talk. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't know what to say. But the worst was when you had to call a friend's house. Your friend didn't have a phone. They didn't have their own line. That only happened on TV shows. You had to call the house and the kid never answered the phone usually it was the dad and he wanted to talk cuz no one wanted to talk to him i, guess, I don't know <laughs> but you'd answer the phone like hey is john there uh yeah can I, may I ask who's calling oh gosh um ryan ryan buddy how you been good what are your plans for the summer plan i don't know man like i I'm trying to make some plans right now. If you'd give the phone to John, we could move on with this (laughs) conversation. But this is that idea. And as that has gone, we've really kind of stepped into that. We love a text message relationship. Like I said, it's the first time where we don't even have to be fully present with the person to have a conversation. I can just send you my thoughts, my ideas, my questions, my problems. Now it's on you, and I move on with my day. But that's not the relationship that God wants to have with me and you. You see, we get this idea of when it comes to the Christian view of prayer, during prayer, I'm fully present with God, and he is fully present with me. I want you to think about that. That God has said, because of the work of Jesus, that we have direct access to him, that any time of day that we can step into that place and he is fully present with us. And here's the thing. We, we believe God to be fully present. He's omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. But it's on me and you to be able to want to be in that space, to want to be fully present with him. Because even though it's, it's, he's accessible, it doesn't mean we're taking advantage of it. And even though he's omnipresent, even though he's with us, it can feel like we're not with him. Like, have you ever been in a room with a bunch of people but still felt alone? Like, it's more than proximity. Or have you ever been in, I don't know, a little tiff with a, a spouse? And even though you're in the same place, you guys are not really talking. There's a little bit of silent treatment going on. And even though you're sharing the same space, there's, there's a barrier that's keeping you two from being fully present with one another. So what I want to ask you today is, what does your prayer life look like? When it comes to you and God, how would you describe it? Is it more of that text message relationship? I mean, think about a lot of our prayers. We pray as we get ready for the day. We pray before a meal. We pray at the end of our days. Does it really just feel like we're throwing things up there to God and trusting that he's getting a maybe? Or... When we think of prayer, is it that time where we are blocking out everything else and we're coming into this space and we're saying, God, I want to be fully present with you. And how can I know? Well, just a few things. One is I'm not just talking, I'm listening. And then two, it's, it's not just circumstantial. I don't just go to God when times are hard or... I don't just go to God when I've lost everything and then I step in and have that conversation. But do I desire this space where I'm constantly in his presence? Because we want it, we desire it. Even for those of us that it's unknown to, even for those of us that don't believe in God or don't pray regularly, think about this. Don't you find yourself crying out to God even a God you don't believe in, even a God you don't talk to most of the time, what is that? Well, it's when our humanity gets exposed and we come to the end of ourselves, the deepest parts of us reach out for a God beyond what we can see, feel, or know here on earth. When our humanity is exposed, and I just want you to wrestle with that, what is that? Because we would say it's because you were made in the image of God. And even though we try to cover it up with money and success, and we can cover it up even when our health is doing really well, there's going to come a time where you're going to cry out to God. What I just want to encourage you with is don't wait. And for all of us, I just want us to spend the rest of the time of looking at what are the things that are keeping us from the presence of God. And John mentions two more in the scriptures, and he he talks about them specifically. So let's just unpack each one. So the first one being unknown. The second one that we see that John mentions here in these verses are our actions, our actions. So when it comes to coming into the presence of God, there's this mystery about it that maybe we're not comfortable going into, but then there's this connection between our actions, how we live, and how willing we are to go into the presence of God. So take a look at what he says here in chapter 3. He says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God, all right? So here's the idea. It's, it's not that our actions, our, our salvation is dependent on our actions. This is more in the confidence of why and how we were gonna to come to God and how confident we are to come into his presence is how we're living. Because if we aren't living rightly, if we aren't following Jesus, if we're not mirroring his life, we're not gonna to wanna to go into that presence because all God's wanna gonna talk about is that. All God wants to do are the things that God wants to do. And if I don't want that, then I'm not going to go in there. For example, Like, if I don't want to work out, I don't want to hang out with Pastor Aaron, right? (laughs) It's going to come up, even if he tries to slide it in a different way. It's going to happen. It's never, hey, bro, you want to go sit down somewhere? It's it's just not. He's he's like, hey, do you want to go strap a bunch of weight on us and go for a really long walk? No, I don't. (laughs) And they tricked me for the last time, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Kyle, the end of the year they did this Christmas workout and it was a horrible gift um, (laughs) where they made up a workout. One, I don't think they're qualified to be making up workouts, you know what I mean? So I was a little skeptical. But we go through this and they're walking me through we're going to do this and this and this and this. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, And then I'm standing next to this guy and one of the things is to climb this rope from the floor about, I don't know, 100 feet in the air. And he said, do you think you can do that? I said, I don't know, but we won't find out today. Uh, today won't be the day. <laughs> but here's the idea. Our actions, they, it's not only our actions keep us from loving other people really well. Our actions, they actually keep us from experiencing more and more of God's love. When we're not living rightly, we don't want to be around a God that is completely right and holy and other. And the way that he talks about it here is is that as we begin to follow Jesus, our actions should actually change. It's not overnight, and maybe you've thought that, and you're a little bummed out that it wasn't an overnight type of a thing. But look at the way that John talks about it in verse 9. He says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. He's not saying that anyone who follows Jesus doesn't sin. He says he doesn't make a practice out of it, doesn't justify it, doesn't explain it away. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So I love the picture that he uses here of a seed. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we kind of used this illustration. But here's what's happening. What John's talking about here is this idea of justification and sanctification. So justification, it's that moment you place your faith in Jesus, you repent from all things, and you begin to follow him. And it says at that moment, God plants his seed in you. you the old you is dead, the new you begins to come alive, and the spirit comes in a seed, you're justified. But then what the rest of your life, from now and forever, for, <laughs> keep going, It's called sanctification, and this is the process of that seed growing, and what he's saying is that as that seed grows, it bears more fruit, and as that seed grows, it takes up more and more space in our life where it makes it harder to sin. We don't desire to sin as much as we once did because we are enjoying the life that God has for us, and our actions are mimicking his, and we're following him, and as time goes, we grow not Overnight, but as a seed grows and begins to blossom and takes up more and more and more and more and more space. We bear more of his fruit from his seed. And when does that seed stop growing? Not on this side of eternity. So John says, hey, be mindful of your actions because they could be the things that are keeping you from going into the presence of God. And then he uses, in true John fashion, he's going to create two extremes. He's gonna look at two different people and look at their life and their actions. He's gonna present a guy named Cain and he's gonna present Jesus. So, So take a look at what he says. He says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil. And his brother had been doing what was righteous. So the first example that John gives here is that he says, don't be like Cain. And Cain, who was the son of Adam and Eve, he had a brother named Abel. And Cain and Abel, they grow up and then they are going before God to present him with this sacrifice. And Abel, his brother's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's is rejected. And Cain gets so angry, so frustrated that in a fit of anger, he actually kills his brother. He actually kills his brother. And did you notice why he killed his brother, what it said? He said he killed him because he was doing what was right. And I think some people here, somebody needs to hear this, that you are living a godly life. You are trying your best to follow Jesus. And it feels like you're creating tension in your relationships. It feels like you're losing a little bit. It seems like you're not as accepted as you once were. And I just want you to know why that is. It's because it is really happening. That there are some people that the closer you get to Jesus, the more uncomfortable they will be with you. And that is not a sign for you to stop anything. That is why Jesus gave us the warning. If like... It's, it hated me. The world hated me. It's going to hate you too. So I just want to give you the courage from this stage to say, hey, keep going, keep trusting it. And then, so God comes to him after Cain has killed his brother. And then look at Cain's reaction when he's confronted. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? You see what he's saying? My brother is not my responsibility. Why why would I have anything to do with him? How would I know? And you see at the root of this is this selfishness. That when our actions are bound up in what we want all of the time, it's going to keep us away from doing what God has called us to do. And now he's going to... He's going to flip it. And he says, don't be like Cain. Instead, be like Jesus. And look at what he says about Jesus, what he decides to say. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up. This is the action. Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Did you see the difference? He says that that Cain, he actually took the life of his brother, whereas Jesus laid down his life for his brothers and sisters. Where Cain is the son of the devil, but Jesus was the son, is the son of God. And he says, hey, these these are the options. These are the choices. This is the fork in the road. And if you notice, the, the big, the, what separated them was a concern for others. He pointed out there was compassion, someone that would give up their life for others. And then he makes this real practical example of like, if you have enough and you see your brother or sister who doesn't, and if you don't do anything about it, how is the love of God in you? That the mark that of our actions are really centered around the life that God has for us is that we will be some of the most unselfish people in the world. I love the way Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it once when he was, he was giving a speech. He said, be concerned about your brother. You may not be on strike, so be concerned. You may be in a different situation than your brother or sister, but either we go up together or we go down together let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. Let us develop a dangerous unselfishness. And I just want you to know, how do you get that? In the presence of God, because do you know who is dangerously unselfish? God. And then when you go into that space and you sit with him and you see how dangerously unselfish he has been and continues to be with you and wants to be with you. And when you feel and experience the compassion God has for you, you are overwhelmed to go out and to love your brothers and sisters. And so often I feel like we get tied up in this idea of this, what it means to live for others. This heroic one act that someone somewhere is going to call you in to take a bullet for your best friend. Chances are... It's not coming, but how we lay down our lives is much smaller, but in a lot of ways, much harder. It's little by little. It's when I step out and I live out this love for others. When I see my brother or sister in a need, I look to meet that need. Prayer helps that. Prayer is like a greenhouse where those things can begin to come together. Because in the unse- prayer might be the most unselfish thing that we do, when we do it correctly. Because what we're doing is coming into the presence of God and for sure, we make our petitions, we make our requests known, we ask things, we plead for things, but at the end of it, it's always, but not my will, but your will be done. God, I'm giving you my desires, my wants, my wishes, but at the end of the day, what you want, I want that. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it makes it so much easier to live it out. So those are, those are two big ones. Just the unknown, the mystery, the actions, my life not lining up with the life God has called me to and the guilt that can come from that. And that leads us to the last one. That if one of these two don't get you, chances are this one's coming for you. Feelings. Feelings. Oh, feeling's a big one. Feelings are a big one. But look at the way John addresses our feelings. He says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. And the feelings that he's talking about here is guilt. He says, if we feel guilt, we're not going to want to go into the presence of God But he says, if we can come to this place where we distinguish between even though I'm feeling something, it doesn't mean that that is true. Or it doesn't mean that there's not a greater truth out there. That even though I feel it, it doesn't mean it has to be true. And here's the line that I want everyone to be able to go away with to say and to remember. God is greater than my feelings. And I want you to say it with me. God is greater than my feelings. At every campus, because I know how you are, you don't do it the first time, with us again. God is greater than my feelings. God is, do you see, though, how counter that is to the culture that we live in? God is greater than my feelings. The culture we live in right now, at least what I hear, is that, Feelings are ultimate. That if I feel like it's good, then it's good. If I feel like it's true, then it's true. And the further we dive into that ideology, the further we push ourselves away from God and being in His presence. We are exchanging fleeting feelings for the faithfulness of God. And we are going to lose over and over and over again. I just want to ask you this, because I know feelings are real, and I know that they're strong. But has a feeling ever failed you? All the time. You've had a feeling financially. You've had a feeling when this relationship, you had a feeling to do something sexually. You've had feelings that felt really real and good and true in the moment, and then the time passed, and you're like... What have I done? And at the same time, have you ever done something that didn't feel good, but ended up being good for you? Here's all the only, I just want to put a pebble in your shoe. That feelings can tell us something. Feelings can tell me something, but only God knows everything. My feelings can tell me something, but only God knows everything. The answer is not pretend like my feelings don't exist it's not to pretend like my feelings aren't real because I can't give something to God that I don't acknowledge I can't surrender something to God that I'm not saying that is real feelings are real and they tell me something but I need to go to God to tell me what what's the most real even in this situation what's what's really true and I just want to give us a prayer A prayer that we can do every single day this week. A prayer where we go into the presence of God. And before we ask for anything, it is a prayer for our feelings. All right? So take a look. This is in Psalm 139. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And I just want to pull out three things from here. As you work this into your prayer time this week, the first one is search me. Here's what you're giving God permission to do. I'm going to be fully present with you and I'm giving you all of myself. Not just the parts that I want to give you, not just the parts that I'm willing to let go and I'm still holding on to all this stuff over here. To have someone search you, you have to be fully present for that to happen. I just recently traveled overseas for the first time, and uh, I was searched for the first time. And they found things that I didn't even know was there, okay? (laughs) Here's the idea, that I'm gonna go before a holy God, and I am flawed and broken and messed up, but I'm gonna go in faith and to say, God, search me. It's all yours. Look, uncover, flip over every rock. And then what'd you say? Point out anything that offends you. Here's this idea, that I could be doing something that is offending God, but it doesn't feel wrong. It doesn't feel like I am, so I'm still doing it. But in these times of prayer, when I come into his presence, he reveals to me, like, I know you think this is okay, but I actually have something better for you. And I'm going to ask you to stop doing that and start doing this. And you're giving him, hey, God, you're greater than my feelings, so if it doesn't even show up on this side, God, I I trust you to point it out to me. And then lead me. Don't just leave me in this moment of conviction, but, God, lead me so that I can cling to you and I will walk with you to the way of everlasting life. So I'll walk with you into your presence. If we don't feel guilty, we'll be able to step into all of these places. But do you feel guilty? Do you feel like there's no way that you could go before God? And I just just want to encourage you, what's on the other side? If we can get past that place, if we can work through the unknown and the actions on our feelings, look at what God says is, is on the other side. He says, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. On the other side of this, this is what the Bible would call the abundant life. What's on the other side of this is true and real connection, the relationship that Jesus died for me and you to have. But the problem that so many of us struggle with is how do we get to the other side, and so many people have tried so many different things that I just want to be in the presence of God. I feel it and I desire it, but I just don't know how to get past these things. And so we spend our lives, if it's just unknown. Maybe if I could just know a little bit more, then I would wanna go back there. Or just actions, I'm just not doing enough. If I could do more, then I could get back there and I could be in the presence of God and, and that ache would finally be settled. Or, or if I could just feel good enough, if I could just feel worthy, then I could could go back there. But I can tell you, from this side, there is nothing that we can do that is gonna get us to the other side of this. It is only when we acknowledge what has already been done for us. The only way to get through this barrier into the presence of God and to have a real relationship with him is to trust the gospel. And the gospel is this. It's that God saw us and we were far from him but God had compassion on us and he chose to wrap himself in skin and bones and live the perfect life that we couldn't live. And as he came, the unknown became known and we saw who God is and we saw exactly what he's like and we got to hear his mission and his desire for our lives. And as Jesus lived this perfect life for me and you, he still did not receive an award from us. What he got was a crucifixion. And he went to the cross and he lived and died for us. So now it is no longer based on my actions, but his perfect actions. No longer my actions, but his perfect sacrifice for me. That it is no longer what's going to get me is when my feelings feel and tell me that I can go be with God. It is moved past feelings to truth. And even when my feelings betray me, and even when my guilt and shame try to overtake me, God's convictions and assurance reign over that. And God says, you are not what you have done, but you are who I say you are. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. And you are a son, and you are a daughter, and you are everything that I came to get. God wants you. God desires a relationship with you and you don't have to wait for it. You just have to believe. You have to have faith that all of that was done for you and now you get to enter into that space and to be with God. I want you to think back to Jesus' last moments on the cross as he was dying for me and you. Look at his words. He says, then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in top or torn in two from the top to the bottom. I want you to think about this. The curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. Why is that significant? One, it, signif- it signifies that God did this, we didn't. And what curtain did he tear? Well, he, he tore the curtain that was in the temple. He, he tore the, t- the, the curtain that was in the temple that separated the most holy of holies, the place where God's presence was. So in that act on the cross, here's what Jesus has made very, very clear. That no matter what the barrier was or might be or could be for you, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the curtain has been torn. Straight down the middle. Now everything that was separating us from God is no longer... And we can step into the presence of God and to fully be with him, not settling for a text message relationship, but to be with him. And what I want to challenge you with this week is to live in this space, for this to be the most real place that you experience all week, where God is greater than your feelings and God is greater than your actions. Can you do that this week? make time that I'm gonna be fully present in his presence. That's what I wanna do. That's where I wanna be. And I know that's where life changes. And I know where that dangerous unselfishness is. I know where that compassion is. I know where that love and strength to move forward is. It's in his presence. It's being with him. It's believing and trusting that there's a God of this universe and he wants to be in your presence. And so what I wanna do right now is just to create a time just for that, for you to be in his presence. And you don't have to move, you don't have to go anywhere. What I just wanna ask you to do, you can just open your hands, you can kneel, you can take at any campus, take whatever position is comfortable for you, but we're just gonna create two minutes for you to be in his presence. And use what we just learned in that psalm. God, search me, point out anything that offends you, and lead me. And for those that you are just hearing this for the first time, and I hope you saw that visual, that the barrier has been removed. You place your faith in Jesus today, that space is for you. That sacred space where humanity and divine come together, where heaven and earth touch, that's accessible for you because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Spend this time placing your faith in Him. And so just just take the next few minutes. Allow God's Spirit to lead you and to guide you. Be fully present in His presence. all of our campus, if I could just have you stand up in this moment. Hope you enjoyed that time. I pray God revealed something to you as you offered yourself. And what we want to do right now is just go into a time of prayer and a time of worship. And if you, if you would, just at all of our campuses, would you go ahead and just bow your eyes, close your heads as we pray. Father, we come before you today. And God, I just, I just pray that we could see you for who you are. The veil has been torn, the mystery is gone. You want us, you want us in your presence. So God, search us. God, remove any sinfulness, remove any selfishness, remove anything that is keeping us from you, our feelings, our actions. God, give us confidence to stand before you. And God, we trust. We trust that where you lead us is what's best. We trust that you are good, even when our feelings disagree. Because God, you are greater than our feelings. And God, as we stand here in your presence, God, we ask for you to take us deeper. God, we ask for you to take us further. God, we ask for more and more time with you. God, we ask that we could look more and more like you. God, it is by faith that we will follow. Jesus, we love you. It is in your perfect and holy name we pray. Amen.